There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There is no better group of pots of flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. Today, we welcome back to the podcast gardening journalist and lecturer Adam Pascoe. I had the pleasure of spending time with Adam at Chelsea again this year. He was the founding editor of Gardener's World magazine and someone whose opinion is much respected within the industry. My thanks to Sutton Seeds of Torquay, sponsors of this podcast. Oh, great weather for the gardeners over that bank holiday weekend. Uh, I've got uh, most of my grass and some of the edges cut, so it looks as if somebody lives in our house once again. Pretty green, the grass. I'm not sure how long it's going to stay green because uh, we're pretty dry and the few millimetres of rain we have had so far have only dampened the surface. But those two or three days just gave me a chance to get some dahlias planted for cut flowers, to get the sweet corn and tomato plants planted outside. Oh, and I cut my first bunch of sweet peas from the cordons growing outside. Uh, Strangely, a week later than usual, this is a funny season. But uh, bragging again a bit, I'm afraid, I picked my first broad beans from the polytunnel. Boy, they were lovely. The pods were so soft, uh, you could almost eat the pods. And, and I picked my first two or three strawberries of a variety called Just Add Cream. Oh, oh, oh goodness, so sweet and so full of flavour. Uh, I did uh, take one or two to share around and somebody said they tasted like nectar. I can tell you, if you've got a cold greenhouse, then it's well worth getting a few plants of strawberry just add cream to pick by the end of May. Last week, I spoke about dropping Flower Show from the Chelsea Flower Show title and calling it the Royal Horticultural Society Chelsea Event. And and now I notice that uh, the Society has already changed the name from the Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. Uh, that, for this year, apparently is renamed the Hampton Court Palace Garden Festival. Actually, if I cast my mind back uh, and think about the number of gardens there used to be at uh, that event, I mean, uh, there were about eight water gardens alone, if I remember correctly. Perhaps they should drop the word garden too and call that one an event. The one thing that uh, going to these big shows gives me is the opportunity to meet people. And I met one of the leading scientific advisers, uh, and was speaking about slow-release fertilisers. 
you know, they're invaluable to us today. We have these little granules, yellow or blue. You mix those in the potting compost uh, and depending on the one you buy, they will feed the plant steadily for three months, six months and even for 12 to 18 months. But the problem is that the coating currently is plastic. Uh, And this senior scientist told me that the coating in practice is 1970s technology. And the manufacturers have got seven years now to put things right. And he thinks it's pretty straightforward that they can get uh, materials which are not plastic and which will uh, gently decay, but not decay too quick, because obviously we need the slow-release fertiliser. I certainly hope they're successful. I wouldn't want to work in the garden and certainly in containers without them. Oh, and I spoke to another specialist too on peat for potting composts. One of the major manufacturers of our potting composts is really worried that in five years' time we won't have the basic materials for compost, period. Uh, They think that uh, the supplies of coir, for example, the the demands around the world for it are increasing all the time. Uh, um, And as the demand increases, so the price goes up, Uh, And it it could well be difficult to uh, get enough to meet uh, the ingredients for potting composts. I've never understood why we don't grow sphagnum peat as an agricultural crop. And apparently this is the route that the Finns are recommending. If, when raised peat bogs are cut away, the water is reinstated and the levels controlled quite accurately then the sphagnum moss grows again much quicker than uh, anyone seems to be saying at present. And and certainly within uh, 10 or 20 years, it looks as if uh, we could grow enough sphagnum moss to have it as a sustainable, repeating crop. Uh, I hope some common sense emerges there. Back in the garden and some really lovely sunny days we've had lately, I was pleased to see my holly blue butterflies back and pleased too also to see that one or two low branches on a variegated holly that I've got pegged down into uh, pots of uh, potting and rooting compost have just started to root. You know, layering is a very uh, easy, rather slow, but easy way to get Uh, what are difficult plants to propagate and I'm thinking of things like camellia and magnolia, rhododendrons and azaleas. If you've got a low branch and you just pull that down and and just make a slight cut on the underside put that in some gritty rooting compost peg and hold it down, keep it damp. After a year or two it will have rooted you can cut it off from the main plant uh, and uh, away you go again. I was sitting on the terrace at the Farmers Club, bit of naming dropping, hey, just a few hundred yards down from Big Ben, looking across the Thames, and somebody said, excuse me, do you mind me asking a gardening question? <laughs> do I mind? I mean, <laughs> if you appear anywhere in public, you have to come to expect it. And they produced a photograph on their mobile phone of a rose, and it just had part of a leaf and a really tight bud and said, could I name it? I'll tell you. (laughs) I shouldn't think anybody could name it. I just suggested that uh, they waited until the flower opened and sent a picture to Peter Beals. I'm sure there'd be somebody there who knew what the answer was. But Mrs Pat Marsh from Leatherhead in Surrey 
Uh, she'd like to know why her eight-year-old Clematis nelimosa is only flowering from the base of the plant. Apparently it's growing very vigorously right up over an arch, but all the flowers are at the bottom. And she said it happened just the same last year. Uh, and another one that uh, she's got, Jersey Cream, does a similar thing. Uh, she didn't tell me how it was being pruned. And so if you have got one of those Nelimosa type, what we call class 2 clematis, then uh, in the winter, early spring, you just check the growth from the top of every branch down until you see a couple of healthy buds, you know, a pair of buds, and you prune off all the stuff above that. And then after flowering, you do the same again to encourage a second flush of flowers. And I just wonder whether... Uh, those two plants of uh, Nellimosa and Jersey Cream had been pruned too hard at some stage at the wrong time. So take it steady, cast your eye down, trim off the top, obviously take out any very thin or um, dead branches, and then at this time of the year, after they've flowered, then do the same again. You want to build up a really good framework of old wood and then all of those young stems coming off it are the ones with with luck. Should flower twice a year. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, there was a time at the Chelsea Flower Show when uh, rhododendrons and azaleas reigned supreme. And this year, uh, walking around the big pavilion, I came across what I think was the only specialist rhododendron exhibit left in that great pavilion, staged by the Myler Nurseries in Surrey. And if I just read very quickly the introduction to their uh, press release, they say that Millet Nurseries grows one of the widest ranges of rhododendrons and azaleas in the world. Just imagine that, one nursery with the biggest range in the world. And they were working alongside the Exbury Gardens, 200-acre woodland garden that has been developed by uh, the Rothschild family. It started with uh, Lionel de Rothschild 100 years ago. So we have the best collection of rhododendrons on a nursery and then, I think, probably one of the finest gardens in the world for rhododendrons and azaleas and lots of other things, a really beautiful garden. And all of that was just crystallised in one small exhibit in the Great Pavilion. It just shows the depth of knowledge 
experience and the range of plants that uh, that particular building can hold at this time of the year. And I was speaking to Adam Pascoe. He was the founder editor of the Gardener's World magazine, a very distinguished and respected gardening journal about that. And Adam, I think, started his work in the horticultural industry with rhododendrons. Is that right, Adam? That's right, Peter. I decided to get into horticulture and um, I was going to go on to university to, to do a degree. wanted to get some practical experience first and uh, lived down in Guildford in Surrey and went up the road to um, a lovely specialist nursery called Slowcock Nursery just outside uh, Woking, based at Knapp Hill. Um, and they grew trees and shrubs galore, but specialised in rhododendrons and azaleas. So when I started work there, God, this is just over 40 years ago now, um, I um, worked alongside the rhododendron foreman, lovely guy called Paul, full of character. And that's when most or many, many more of the plants were grown out in the field. Um, container gardening has, has come and taken over um, as the main form of production of so many plants now. But back in the day, all our trees and shrubs and the rhododendrons were grown out in the fields. They're perfect soil around Knapp Hill, Woking, and that part of, um, uh, of Surrey. Good acid soil, perfect for lots of uh, rhododendrons rhodos and, and azaleas. And I was telling you when we bumped into you at the press day at Chelsea, Peter, that you know, back 40-odd years ago, um, <laughs> I remember working at, uh, at Slowcox and staging one of these fantastic displays of um, evergreen rhododendrons, evergreen azaleas and deciduous azaleas in the floral marquee. The trick and the skill that the nurseryman had to have in getting the plants all looking perfect for those few days uh, in May. And the skill they had of, we basically had to lift the plants from the field. So so nothing in containers, all got well, to be dug up. They had to be dug up and then you, you did what you call root balling, which is basically when you would you'd try and dig a plant up with as big, uh, as, as much root as you could and then wrap it tightly with hessian sacking tied with string to hold it together. And that's how plants were sent out to customers. But the bigger the plant got, the bigger the root ball got, the heavier the plant got to lift and uh, manipulate. And the trick that the, you know, that these skilled nurserymen had to have was to try and get the plant looking perfect. And really, you wanted to look absolutely perfect when the judges are going around the floral marquees looking at your stand. And to get the flowers open at the right point, you'd have to, if the weather was warm, you'd have to move the plant into a shady, cool spot. If the weather was cold, you'd have to carry the plant into a greenhouse. So those weeks before Chelsea were critical in getting the plants to the perfect stage of growth. So when you got it to Chelsea and got it on display, it would look fantastic for the judges. We had this most massive centerpiece on our stand. It was a big rhododendron, I think called Susan. A big plant, so big that it filled a whole lorry on its own. So getting it up from Napil in Surrey up to Chelsea had to very carefully be lifted onto a lorry. took eight of us to lift this plant with its great big root ball, get it into the lorry, get it all the way up to Chelsea, into the showground, open up the back of the lorry and try and lift it off, staggering through the marquee, lifting it into position in the centre, got it into place. And everyone stood back and looked at it and thought... Do you know, 
I think that plant is just a little bit too advanced in flowering. It's never going to last the week. So we had to take it back, take it back to the nursery and thankfully have a second plant in reserve, which is the skill that the growers have. You know, you can't put second rate, second quality plants on show at Chelsea. It's got to be perfection. And and that's what it took. But, you know, you said eight of you. Lifting, yeah. of course, there wouldn't have been forklift trucks, would there? There was none well, of that sort of hydraulic remember, assistance. Li- no, I don't remember forklift trucks at all. Back in back in those days, it, it was um, you know it, everything was done by hand. You know, lifting plants from the field. It was you know it was you and your spade. Um, and um, no, I don't remember any form of forklifts at all. Oh, health and safety would have a field day one day. <laughs> all we used to do. So you can't do that. You've got to wear a, a yellow jacket, a hard hat, uh, and also of restraints and you can't bend over and you can't lift this and you can't do that but no it was it was a, it was my big learning curve peter i learned a lot on the nursery not just with the the rhododendrons and azaleas as they putting on those displays i know the royal family especially the queen mother used to love coming into the floor marquee she always made a beeline to the slocott nursery rhododendron stand she always placed an order and one of my first days uh, working on the nursery i remember paul would pick up his little chitty for the day the list of plants that we had to go out into the field and lift up and root ball and one day he looked and he said oh We've got the Queen Mother's order today, so I do have the picture. I did actually lift some plants from the nursery that I know went uh, and took pride of place in her garden. So, no, lots of, of, of nice experiences there, but developing those stands and sharing, I suppose, a passion for a particular plant, how you grow it, the conditions it wants, helping people to um, get those plants. And the one leaving plant I had, so this must be going back to 1978, my leaving present from Slocott Nursery was a dwarf rhododendron, a species called Yakushimanum. It stays nice and dwarf and compact. It flowers at this time of year, so it's coming into flower now in my garden. If you've still got that plant? It has moved with me for the last 40-odd years, and it now takes pride of place outside my kitchen. So it has moved from being a student to my first home in Guildford in Surrey, moving up to Peterborough, and it's now moved into the fire garden. I don't have acid soil here, but it doesn't... If you want to grow camellias and rhododendrons and azaleas and your garden soil isn't perfect for them, you can grow them in containers. I made a raised bed. It's the only bit of brickwork I've ever done, Peter, but I (laughs) built a a raised brick bed, which I'm actually quite proud of, filled, made sure it's free-draining at the bottom, filled it with an acid ericaceous compost, planted it in there. I I do give it an ericaceous feed every year, and it it is still looking fantastic. So 40-odd years long on, it is probably about maybe four foot across and three foot high, but it's been perfect for a small garden and flowers every year, evergreen foliage, so it gives you the structure and the shape which you can enjoy throughout the year. But every May time, it flowers and reminds me of my early days of training on a, on a tree and shrub nursery. Adam, what a, what a treasured plant. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, it, means, it means a lot to me. And it's, I think one thing it highlights, Peter, is... A lot of people have moved on to other sorts of plants over the years, but when you invest in a hardy shrub or a tree, they can last and last and last. So you think that 
10, 15 pounds, 20 pounds, maybe 25 pounds now for a plant. If that's going to give you joy every single year for over, well, for me, open so far over 40 years, and it will go on going, that's pretty good value for money, isn't no, it's, it? It's amazing. And, and I think it's a pity, really, that uh, the big pavilion doesn't have as many stands. Uh, uh, I'm thinking perhaps of the deciduous azaleas. I mean, what do you think about those? They, they are lovely plants because they come in such flamboyant colours. And you get most rhododendrons, and I love them, you know, it's the deep pinks and it's the purples and it's the whites and the, and the pure colours, a bit like my Yakushimanum. Bard is pure, is deep pink, opens to pure white, looks beautiful. The bees love them too. Um, so it was encouraged to grow bee-friendly plants. The, the flowers of rhodos are, are perfect for bees. Um, but the deciduous azaleas, which means they're going to lose their leaves in the winter, but they burst into, into most beautiful colours, the oranges and the burnt ambers and the golds and, and so on, around about this time of year, so probably through, through May time. Uh, they do want a, an acid soil, but you can tweak the compost, you can feed with the right fertilisers to get those conditions. They'll be evergreen through the uh, leaf colour through the summer, but then give you lovely autumn colour as well before the leaves fall in autumn. Great 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 value and if you plan your garden right so that what you want in in any garden is you want things i would say you want things to become the star performers things to take center stage your garden is is the stage but you want the players to come in and do their thing spring summer autumn winter so you position things carefully to bring those areas of the garden to life so you maybe you just highlight one border which you know is going to be that's going to be perfect in spring but then we will move on and my focus through summer will be another area of the garden and you plant that so that it really does sing out become the stars of the show for that one season then moves on but there are some shrubs and plants which do the thing through several seasons and certainly the rhododendrons and azaleas are those they give you the wonderful show of color but they still contribute to the display. They've got a structure and form and foliage, which looks good for many, many months as well. As well as that, one could say almost three-dimension garden with, uh, you know, season, shape and colour. There's the personality, your Yucutiaminum. When you look at that, then it takes you back. Uh, and yeah. it's almost like a photograph album, isn't it? And my son works for Unilever. And a long time ago, we had the deciduous azalea purcell. Oh, yes. And he's got that in a container. I can't think how. He's kept yeah. it alive beautifully for... Well, you taught him well, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's only there weekends, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that tells you something about the plant then, doesn't it? That's what you want is, is soil-proof plants. Like, I go around the country giving lots of talks to gardening groups and societies and so on. In most of my talks, there's a section on foolproof plants. And by foolproof, you mean you want things which are going to be hardy, reliable, trustworthy, not fickle, not tricky. You just need the reliability. You want things to survive even when you, you go on holiday and you go away. And and there are many, many plants that will do that. You've just got to choose carefully. Sometimes there are those plants which have the AGM, the Award of Garden Merit symbol, which, you know, the RHS has evaluated these plants. You know they're going to be good garden doers. Um, and so lots of these plants will. That's what you want. A plant which is going to survive at all odds are we going to have a heat wave like last summer or are we going to have a torrential wet summer is it going to be snow in winter is it going to be dry in winter the plant 
plants that you choose to form the the, uh, the structure, the backbone of your garden, they've got to be reliable. And it's those sorts of plants which you know are going to perform year after year without you needing to worry. Oh, yes, without question. Uh, but if I take you on a little further, Adam, uh, after university training, you had the... Chelsea Flash Show bug and went back as an editor of I magazines. Did, yes, well, I, when I left university, I uh, studied horticulture, got a degree in horticulture at Nottingham. I thought I was going to go into advisory work, go into a more scientific side of horticulture. And I actually got offered a job by the then called ADAS as a horticultural advisory officer. But exactly the same time, this is back in 1982, just as I was about to leave university, a new gardening magazine was launched called Garden Answers still going strong to this day and I started work on it just after its launch um, as technical editor and in those early days of Garden Answers back in 1983 and 1984 I think it was we had gardens at the Chelsea Flower Show we worked with a local um, garden designer and nursery company called Barrelettes of Ealing Ooh, uh, no, lovely yes. guy yeah, guy, no, guy still, yeah. still going strong Graham Strong was one of the designers there and um, he helped us design what I would call family gardens for Chelsea. We, the first one we had on the embankment site in Chelsea, which meant it had a couple of levels to it. So you were able to tier the garden and create interest by changing the levels within the garden design. Had a typical vegetable plot, had typical flower beds and, and, um, and so on. And just putting in plants that you knew were reliable and trustworthy and so on. That garden, and I'm going back a few years, I know, but the budgets that people have nowadays, and you think they are... <laughs> Steady now, yeah. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of pounds budgets that people spent a day, but we had a budget of £2,500 to build the whole garden from scratch. Um, and, and the second year we had a garden in Main Avenue, again, a, a, just a lovely, typical, typical in size, typical in design, hopefully giving people a feel for what they could achieve in their own garden, which is probably where, to my mind, Chelsea has moved on an awful lot from from, from those initial premises. I, I don't sometimes feel I go to Chelsea to get inspiration for my garden. You can marvel at the creations. You can marvel at the skill of the, of the construction, and, and a lot of it is very, very heavy construction, and you can see the money that needs to go in to those sorts of things. But they're not gardens that possibly you and I would want uh, or could afford to, to build ourselves uh, and walk into. So in terms of you know, um, inspiration for your, you know, your average gardener who just wants, I want to eat something nice, I want colour, I want fragrance, I want a bit of sit outside, chill out with the family, an area for the kids to play, somewhere to relax. Um, I want to grow a bit of veg. I want some herbs to pick for the for the kitchen. Um, I want a few cut flowers in there. I want it to look good all year round as well. Those sort of premises aren't necessarily ones that Chelsea designers start out with and try to um, re- recreate to, to inspire the, the home gardener. Adam, we must champion their return. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Will you be please, please, let's have the ordinary homeowner catered for once again. I, yeah. I can understand... You know, the back-to-nature side, which we saw at Chelsea this year, and the Duchess of Cambridge was involved with, um, with that with the RHS. Uh, I'm a great one for the benefits of health and well-being. I've worked with the Horticultural Trade Association, the HTA, um, this year, creating a month-by-month calendar called Gardening is Good for You, which gives garden centres a, a 
focus for all those health and well-being benefits of gardening, the exercise, the healthy eating, the scent and the fragrance, the relaxation, the getting in one with nature, all of these benefits that you and I know gardening can bring to people. But I think you can have that in the context of a bright, colourful, cheerful garden that you can walk out into any day of the year, sit down, have your cup of morning coffee uh, and really enjoy something which you've created yourself. Amen to that. Uh, And when you talk of health and exercise, goodness, I did some walking on Monday and Tuesday on that showground and presumably you did the same. I've got got this little um, app on my phone which tells me, um, it's a health app, it tells me how many steps I've walked in a day. I do, everyone's told you should try and walk 10,000 steps a day. That's an awfully long way, actually. It's quite a few hours of walking. But on Monday, I'm just looking at it now, I walked nearly 10 kilometres around the Chelsea Flower Show site, which is quite a few miles, 16,776 steps. So I certainly did my, my walking on Monday. It's a big show. You must have walked even further, Peter. <laughs> We both need to go and sit in our ordinary suburban gardens and have a cup of tea. The thing is, when I saw you at Chelsea, you, you were always walking at double the pace. So it always looks like you're late for, it, late for something, <laughs> chasing on to the next place. Well, you didn't have to say that. Yes, I am always late. Yes, my headmaster said somebody has to be late, but it doesn't always have to be you. <laughs> Adam, it's great to chat to yeah, you. Yeah, it was lovely seeing you at Chelsea, Peter. Um, very best wishes and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. <laughs> What's on? Oh, well, it's uh, Gardening Scotland on the 31st of May to the 2nd of June. I don't think I'll be able to make it, which is a pity. It's a lovely, friendly show, so those of you up in the north or travelling to Edinburgh want a nice uh, little visit out in comfortable gardening surroundings, Gardening Scotland. And last week, uh, having Chelsea show, prompt my memory of this letter, which I thought I might uh, share with you today. Uh, uh, The letter came from uh, Oxy in Watford, Hearts. Dear Mr Seabrook, I've been trying to contact an old friend of mine and would be very much appreciated any help you may be able to give me. My friend's name is Mr CJ Fitch and whilst you were commentating on the Chelsea Flower Show, the camera picked him up coming through the gate. I have to tell you on the side, at that time there were 230,000 people coming through the gate. I had previously written to an address in Newmarket that he gave me, but it had been returned by the post office. Subsequently, since seeing him on the television and assuming he was in some way connected with the prize winner, I sent for the list, but this gave me no information as to which firm he may now work for or, in fact, be retired from. I knew Mr Fitch many years ago before he injured his leg in the war and would love to see him again before my failing eyesight deteriorates any more. If you think you may be able to help me, believe it's unethical to give me his address perhaps you could pass on my letter for which purpose I enclose a stamp so there you are if you happen to know this Mr CJ Fitch who walks with uh, a limp perhaps you'd let me know and I'll pass the address on my thanks to Sutton Seeds of Torquay sponsors of this podcast and thanks to you for listening enjoy your garden We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk Hold up! 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 